Hello and welcome to a very special feature episode of Political Inquiry. Political Inquiry is a podcast about queer and trans issues as they pertain to state-level politics in Michigan. Political Inquiry is proudly put on by the Michigan Gaily, which is an LGBTQ plus news publication at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. I'm your host, Blake Bile, current senior at the University of Michigan studying political science and writing. And in today's episode, we are joined by Attorney General Dana Nessel to talk about her background in law, her career in politics, and other current events which you won't want to miss. Before we get started, I would just like to thank our scriptwriter, Jackie Moreno, our sound editor, Kira Harge, and our graphics slash social media director, Atticus Spicer, for their contributions on this episode. Without further ado, please enjoy the episode. Thank you, A.G. Nessel, for, for joining us on the podcast today. Um, I kind of wanted to start with a little bit of your background. Um, so so you grew up in West Bloomfield, um, and then from there you went to Wayne, or you went to the University of Michigan and got your undergrad degree um, and then went to Wayne State Law. Um, and then from there, you worked at the Wayne County's prosecutor's office um, for, for 11 years, I believe. Um, yep, that's right. And then afterwards, after that, um, you opened your own private practice. Um, and from there, you were presented with the um, Boer versus Snyder case. Um, which is um, an amazing case for for people that don't know. Um, would you be able to elaborate a little bit on that case um, and sort of how you got presented that case? Well, no one presented it to me. I filed it as okay. an attorney. Um, okay. But I, um, you know, uh, once I left the the prosecutor's office, I, I was I was doing you know a lot of different kinds of work, but. Um, but what I was finding is that there were very few attorneys that were willing to take on uh, cases involving LGBTQ issues. And, and one of the big reasons is because we didn't have any laws of any kind that would support those kinds of cases. We had no rights at all for uh, LGBTQ individuals in any sphere, right? So um, marriage, adoption, employment, housing, education public accommodations. I mean, you name it, there were no laws. There were no protections at all. And so what would happen is people would come to me, I think because I I was an openly gay woman, uh, asking for help. And oftentimes uh, I would say, well, you know, look, there's no supporting law here, but I I will try to help you. And um, often that meant filing constitutional claims, because a lot of times you'd say, well, there's no law here that supports this claim. All we can do is say that to deny this person this right, whatever that right was, violates the equal protection clause of the Constitution or the due process clause of the Constitution, or this should be a fundamental right, uh, even though it's not. And so I started bringing a lot of different challenges, both under the Michigan Constitution, under the United States Constitution. Um, And Deborah V. Snyder came to me off the heels of losing a case uh, before the Michigan Supreme Court involving a a same-sex couple, a lesbian couple who had been raising three kids together. uh, And, you know, ultimately, uh, when they broke up, 
one parent wouldn't let the other parent see the kids at all and got a PPO against her. Mm-hmm. And I represented the woman who had been deprived of her kids <clears throat> because the Michigan Custody Act basically didn't allow, you know, for uh, two parents of the same sex to raise kids together legally. Oh. So I had brought that case and I lost it, unfortunately. But right after that, I had a same-sex couple walk into my office who wanted to adopt their kids together. Mm-hmm. And they were prohibited from doing that under the Michigan Adoption Code. Mm-hmm. So I, I filed a case. These were um, April uh, and Jane. Uh, and, you know, there were two uh, nurses. One of them was an emergency room nurse and the other was a, a NICU nurse. And they had adopted these five children together. Um, There were foster care parents to those kids. Oddly enough, Michigan law allowed them to be foster parents, but not adoptive parents to the kids that they were raising literally since the day where they were born, because these kids had all been uh, abandoned or Mm -hmm. surrendered at birth. So literally nobody else wanted these kids in the state place these kids with them. They all had a host of, um, of ailments were, were born without any neonatal care, you know, care and, and, and were really just had a, just a lot of, of difficulties in life. And so these two nurses were raising these kids and doing a wonderful job of it. And all they wanted was to be able to adopt those kids together that they were already raising. And of course the law did not permit for that. So in January of 2012, I filed a case um, that became known as DeBoer v. Snyder, mm-hmm. uh, challenging the Michigan Custody Act, uh, sorry, the Michigan Adoption Code, which would, which did not permit for that, and saying, you know, that, you know, it violated their rights. And ultimately, the judge in that case decided that it really didn't violate the Michigan Custody Act, because the Michigan Custody, I'm sorry, Michigan Adoption Act, which said that uh, people had to be married to each other. You had to have a married couple. Only they could adopt kids together. Mm-hmm. They said, well, he said, the problem isn't that the adoption code says you have to be a married couple. The problem is that April and Jane can't get married at all mm-hmm. because they are a same-sex couple because they wanted to marry, but they were forbidden from marrying under Michigan state law and also our constitution, which had been amended mm-hmm. in 2004. Uh, and it's still in the books, by the way which prohibits marriage marriage outside of anything of one man, one woman. Mm-hmm. So the judge said in 2013, you have to amend your pleadings. And he basically forced us, to, if we wanted to keep the case alive, to challenge the, uh, you know, the ban on same-sex marriage in Michigan. So we did. And in Michigan, we became only the third state in American history to go to trial mm-hmm. on the issue of marriage equality. And we won. And mm-hmm. ultimately, our case went all the way to the United States Supreme Court, got consolidated with some other cases in the Sixth Circuit, mm-hmm. um, became known as Obergefell v. Hodges. And it was a Michigan case that allowed for same-sex marriage nationwide. And that de- decision, as some people know, came down in 2015. Yeah. Uh, and so April and Jane were able to get married, which they did shortly thereafter. And then I, I actually was able to petition the court for their adoptions and they were able to jointly adopt all five children. Oh, good, good, good. Happy endings, right? It was, it was a very happy ending for sure. Yeah. Yeah. uh, That, that had to have been 
such an amazing opportunity to work on that case um, and to see it go all the way to the Supreme Court. I mean, how how did you feel? What were what were some of the takeaways? You know, what what were you sort of experiencing in, in that moment? In that moment. Well, that moment went on for a really long time. It was, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it, the case from beginning to end. I mean, all things considered for us to have had a full trial on the matter mm -hmm. and for it to have gone to the United States Supreme Court, it was really only three and a half years, which is lightning speed for, yeah. for a case to get, you know, to the Supreme Court in that period of time. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a lot of sacrificing. You know, I wasn't affiliated with, uh, you know, it, it's not like I worked for the ACLU or yeah for GLAD or for HRC or for some big organization like that with a lot of funding. Mm -hmm. It was me and another, uh, you know, attorney in private practice, basically, who brought that case. And it sort of accidentally, I, we, they referred to our clients as the accidental activists because <laughs> nobody, nobody could have seen, like, all they wanted to do was adopt these kids. Yeah. And then ultimately it created uh, marriage equality nationwide. And I, I think that, you know, it was one of those things where it all worked out great, but nobody foresaw that this was going to be a case that would take as much work as it did. But obviously it worked out phenomenal. Yeah. And, um, you know, it had a happy ending, as you said. Yeah. 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 Um, and and you didn't stop your your activism there. And you certainly haven't stopped now. Um, I think it was in um, 2015 where you 2016, you founded Fair Michigan. Um and then in 2018, you were the first openly queer um, statewide elected official. Um, so, so given your legal background and um, you know the work that you've done, what was sort of the moment for you where you went, you know what, I, I want to run for office. I need to run for office. What was that like? Well, there were so many things that led to that, but I have to say the case that I just talked about, Deborah v. Snyder, was a large part of that. You know, here our case was against the Department of Attorney General, right? And so it wasn't just the matter of of the office um, who's supposed to represent all of Michigan, right? Yep. Not just that they took this position that same-sex couples shouldn't be able to, to adopt children together mm -hmm. or get married, but it was the way they did it. You know, it wasn't just a matter of defending the law in order to do that. They had to come up with a reason because the way the law works is if you're going to discriminate against a class of reason uh, of people, mm -hmm. you have to have a reason to do it. You can't discriminate just for the just because you want to, because you don't you, that's a disfavored class. You have yeah. to have what's known as a, a rational basis to discriminate against them. Okay. And the the reasons that were put forth by the Department of Attorney General were just horrific to me. They said things like, you know, that LGBTQ people make terrible parents. Their kids, you know, will go on to become drug addicts or alcoholics or be promiscuous mm -hmm. or have a whole host of issues. And we know that that's not true. Kids don't turn out worse because they're raised by a same-sex couple versus an opposite sex couple. And there's, mm -hmm. you know, 35 years of, of social science that tells us that. But they also said other things like, you know, same sex couples shouldn't be able to marry because um, it it will destroy the institution of marriage if they're allowed to participate in it. Mm -hmm. um, gays can't appreciate the sanctity of marriage. I mean, all kinds of horrible stuff. Mm -hmm. And in fact, all of the experts that remember were paid for by the state, by state tax dollars, every single one of the expert witnesses they hired got on the stand and, and said things like, because 
gay people are going to go to hell. They shouldn't be able to, you know, raise children. I'm like, my God, this is what my tax dollars are paying for. Yeah, right. Somebody, <laughs> right. So I thought, you know, instead of filing cases against the Department of Attorney General and being horrified mm -hmm. by how that office operated, mm -hmm. I could complain about it a lot. I mm -hmm. could file case after case against the AG, mm -hmm. but wouldn't it be so much better if I just became the AG? Yep. And then I could make sure that you had a department that was protecting people all around the state mm -hmm. instead of persecuting them. And yeah. so that's what I decided to do. And we have been, we've gone full force in terms of trying to protect people from all different communities in the state. And my vision is that my job is to protect everybody mm -hmm. and to discriminate against no one. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we've done. So when it comes to the LGBTQ community, we've done all kinds of things. I, mm -hmm. you know, you might know that just this year, you know, I argued a case myself called Rouch World versus the Michigan Department of Civil Rights. And that is what allowed for, you know, at long last, our civil rights law, mm -hmm. uh, the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act, mm -hmm. to be interpreted to include sexual orientation and gender identity. Yep. So uh, I did basically just the exact opposite as my predecessor. Yeah. <laughs> and I yep. tried to use the office to expand the rights of people instead of to eliminate them or contract them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, some of those justifications, uh, those are sort of like time tested that we hear all of, like all the time. Um, gay people are going to hell. You know, it's it, the homophobic rhetoric is is absolutely insane. Um, and we saw, I think, um, with these November elections that it's not a good strategy. Um, one, it's it's immoral. Um, but two, it's just not a good strategy for Republicans. Um, but I'm I'm sure that some of those homophobic, some of that homophobic rhetoric um has followed you from from the legal field into politics. Um so when when you were running and, and even as you got elected, um what how did you think that your identity was going to influence um your campaign um and, and I guess getting elected into office? Well, you know, what I decided to do is I said, you know, I'm not going to run on being a gay person, mm -hmm. but I also think it's important that people know I'm a gay person yeah. uh, because I, I think that, you know, people need to know we're just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have the same capabilities mm -hmm. uh, and and, you know, we're no better or worse than than any than our, our heterosexual counterparts. Right. Yep. Um, and. You know, so I was always very proud I, to have my wife by my side and my yeah. children by, by you know, my side. Just the same way that, uh, you know, a, a a straight cisgender person would handle their campaign, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, but I campaigned on so many different issues. And yes, of course, I campaigned on equality for LGBTQ issues. And I'm, I'm never going to shut up about that. Mm -hmm. But there are a thousand other issues that I'm also deeply committed to. Yeah. And... You know, what I found is, um, in large part, I would say, in my first campaign, where I don't think there was as much LGBTQ animus in general in 2018, uh, as the Republicans decided to utilize in 2022, mm -hmm. when I got into office, there were a lot of people who said, I didn't even know that you were gay. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, yeah, I don't talk about it 24 hours a day. Yeah. You know, I, I just live my life as I live it. 
I certainly don't disguise it, but (laughs) I talk about consumer protection and I talk about, you know, uh, environmental issues and I talk about protecting seniors. I mean, it's, it's not like, I don't walk around all the time wearing like a, you know, a rainbow colored suit, you know, (laughs) I wear my regular lawyer suit. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, so, but in 2022, what I found to be the case and, and what many people probably know now is it was a concerted strategy by the Republicans mm-hmm. to use, you know, animus against the LGBTQ community to try to win their campaigns. Yep. So what I found was that there was a, a lot of talk about about my my sexual orientation in a way that there really hadn't been four years earlier. And, you know, what we started to hear, of course, was this this the use of this word groomer all Mm -hmm. the time. And what I found particularly uh, odious about that, not just the not just going back like 50 years in time to when, you know, gay people were were called pedophiles or pederasts, you know, as a way to scare people. But you know, I, as attorney general, you know, I, two of my biggest initiatives were, were, you know, sexual assault investigations on a massive scale into, yep. well, three of them really, you know, mm-hmm. the, the MSU investigation, mm-hmm. the uh, investigation into the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and the Boy Scouts of America investigation. And so under my time as attorney general, we likely prosecuted more uh, child sex offenders than probably any AG, not just in Michigan history, mm-hmm. but I would actually say, you know, for the period of time I was in office, anywhere in the country. And and I'm a former child abuse prosecutor, so I mm-hmm. I prosecuted child um, physical and sexual assault cases for many, many years. That was my job mm-hmm. when I was a, a, an assistant count prosecutor in Wayne County. And as you know, I've gotten all these different awards from various different victim advocacy groups uh, for my work um, prosecuting those types of cases and protecting victims. So now to have my opponent who'd never prosecuted a sexual assault case in his entire career calling me a groomer simply because I'm a gay person, yep. uh, You know, I was so offended and horrified by that. But you know what? Turns out so were the voters. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I um, we interviewed um, Senator Jerry Moss, Jeremy Moss and um, State House Rep Lori Pohutsky um, were were two of the three people that we interviewed. um, And and they said very similar things. as far as, like you said, when, when you ran for office, um, you know, you don't, you don't wear a, a label on your forehead that says gay, you know, gay people are just as normal, um, just as, just as capable as, as straight people. Um, but, but not only that, um, the, the groomer and pedophile, the, the pedophile rhetoric, um, it's, it's just something that I, like, I, I don't understand, especially in your case, um, you know, obviously, it didn't work with the November elections, but um, I mean, they went everywhere. I, I, I'm sure you have um, been keeping up with the Dearborn School Board, um, the book bans going on there. Um, you know, and, and it seems a lot of times from whatever group it is, 
this rhetoric always gets brought up and it just never seems like it never seems like um as a queer community we can sort of um not not defend ourselves but like why is that still a thing i don't understand why that is so embedded in our society and that is such a like quick turn to go to pedophilia it it, it boggles my brain well unfortunately it's it's you know tried and and tested over the course of of many many decades and yeah. you know if you go back really into i would say the 1970s if you look at people like Anita Bryant mm-hmm. you know and Jerry Falwell you mm-hmm. know used that in the moral majority mm-hmm. um and i mean there are, there are a lot of others uh who that you know, as soon as they saw that society was beginning to accept uh, gay people, they had to demonize us in some way. And of course, I mean, let's face it, nobody likes pedophiles, right? I mean, that's something to be really afraid yeah. of, right? Somebody hurting your children. Mm-hmm. There's there's no better way to denigrate a person than to call them that. Yeah. And so it's worked over and over and over again. And I had really thought, you know, if you look at the trajectory of of rights for the community Mm -hmm. you know some of the things that i think are most impactful i would say 2003 uh the lawrence v texas decision very very important because it made uh relationships intimate relationships legal Mm -hmm. um there were states like michigan people should know Mm -hmm. where uh physical intimacy between members of the same sex were that's a 15-year felony in Michigan. Yep. And so for a lot of people, it wasn't just that you could get fired from your job or you could be ostracized in many mm-hmm. different ways. You could go to prison mm-hmm. just for having that relationship. So 2003, now it's not illegal anymore to have those relationships. Now you fast forward all the way to 2015. Not only is it not illegal to have a relationship, but you can have a, a legally recognized marriage, yeah. you know, under under the the con- U.S. Constitution, and so what had started to happen, I think, is just wide acceptance of LGBTQ people, uh, and I I really think that the you know the the right wing um, who still continue to oppose LGBTQ rights really. You know, they got to a point where what are they going to do? I mean, they were seeing the numbers. Even most Republicans at this point approve of same-sex marriage. And the numbers that I saw in terms of people who wanted to ensure that there were uh, constitutional rights for, you know, employment, again, education, public accommodations, that sort of thing. I mean, some of the numbers were in the 70s Mm -hmm. in terms of, say, Michigan residents, Michigan voters that approved uh, of making sure that people could not be discriminated at, at work, for instance. Yeah. So I think that the pushback had to be, we got to do something here because this yeah. acceptance, if we don't work quickly, it's going to be too late mm-hmm. because there's going to be so much widespread acceptance. And so they had to go back to this tried and true formula, mm-hmm. which was to call uh, gay people and, and queer people pedophiles. Yeah. And unfortunately, with some people, I don't think it worked with many people, but with some people it did work. But the problem is this, mm-hmm. you know, putting that narrative out there again, you know, yes, it, it definitely hurts, uh, you know, LGBTQ adults. There's no question. 
But the people I worry about the most are children who are subjected to bullying and who already are struggling. And we know, for instance, that, you know, um, LGBTQ kids are the most likely sacked to um, to try to commit suicide Mm -hmm. and, and to struggle with with depression and substance abuse and all kinds of other issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, br- creating this as an issue again, you know, and tormenting the most, you know, some of the most vulnerable children in our society has uh, a really significant impact. And it's, it's them that I worry about the most. Uh, because, you know, when you're when you're a child, it's really hard to defend yourself. Yeah. Yeah, especially um, I grew up sort of at the base of the thumb, um, and I went to uh, a, a very white, very um, Christian high school. Um, and there, I think there was two out kids in the whole school, um, out of probably like five hundred or six hundred of us. And it it, it sends us um, a message to those kids that there is there is really no hope, and that there it, it really the situation just. I, I also feel for those kids because I because I was one of those kids and I'm sure you might you were probably in the, in the same situation. Um, it, it looks like a hopeless situation and especially in high school um, where, you know, everything is going on all at once and your your world is ending and it's changing. Um, you know, it, it's a really formative age and that sends a message to LGBTQ youth that we aren't worthy, don't speak up. Um, Th- those sort of things. Um, I guess that brings me to to my next question. Um, so we've seen the infamous "Don't Say Gay" bill in Florida um, proposed and passed by um, Ron DeSantis, um, and then recently um, there was an act um, introduced in Congress called the "Stop the Sexualization of Children" Act um, by Louisiana's Mike Johnson. Um, so, so talking about youth um, and in schools. What are some things that your team, um, the attorney general's office, has been doing to um, sort of aid or support the education and representation of of queer youth in schools? Well, you know, I I would say that, you know, while... While my department doesn't specifically focus on schools, what we do is we have a hate crimes division at our department, and we were the first hate crimes and domestic terrorism unit in any state attorney general's office in the United States, and we've done some really important work. Um, you might have just seen just yesterday we we uh, had sentenced you know three people who were members of the Wolverine Watchmen who. Yep. Uh, you know, an anti-government group and conspired to to kidnap the governor. But but we've also gone after a number uh, of groups that are incredibly anti-LGBTQ. And you don't know if if they're going to, you know, in their plots and in their planning to hurt people, you don't know if the next place they're going to go is, uh, you know, a massacre at, uh, you know, uh, an, you know, a gay nightclub, mm-hmm. like we've seen now uh, in, in, in other states. Yeah. So we try to protect um, minority communities that we think are most vulnerable to violent attacks from yeah. the groups that, that we think are most likely uh, to perpetrate those acts. I will say just generally speaking, we want to come become a little bit more active in the, you know, in the school shooting space, to the extent that, you know, we're going to be working with the legislature to propose 
uh, bills that would allow us to better investigate those cases to find out exactly what happened and what led to those shootings. Um, You know, I, I try in my, in my personal capacity, I hope to be a bit of, you know, a role model to, to some of those kids so that they know that there is something that comes next. Right. And even if things aren't great for you right now as a child and aren't great for you in your particular set of circumstances in your school or even in your family life, that it does get better and things change. And, um, if you, you know, if you try your hardest to get past this very difficult time in your life, um, things will change for you and will get better for you yeah. uh, as you get older and get beyond whatever your, your surroundings are, your circumstances are there. But, you know, I, I have been uh, as aggressive as possible in my capacity and the things that I can do at my department in terms of, like I said, protecting people's rights. I mean, everything from, you know, I authored uh, an opinion, an AG opinion that was binding on the Department of Health and Human Services that more easily allowed for transgender people to change their gender marker on their birth certificate, mm-hmm. right? We have all kinds of, um, of programs that we have in our department. We have a transgender interaction policy about the way that we treat members of the trans community when they are, um, whether they're consumers, whether they are crime victims, mm-hmm. uh, whether they are witnesses, what have you, you know, so that we're treating people respectfully. Yeah. We, you know, we do a lot of different things just so that people know that you have a state government that cares about you and will treat you with respect and dignity. And we think yeah. that's really important. You know, so within the space that I have, I have tried to do as much as I can possibly do. You know, individual uh, school districts, are really going to have to be in a space where they're pushing back against this narrative. Obviously, I'm horrified by the prospect of anything like a don't say gay bill. I don't. But fortunately, I can tell you right now, uh, with Gretchen Whitmer yeah. as the the governor of the of the great state of Michigan, and with Democratic majorities in both the House and Senate, we're not going to see that happen in Michigan. Yeah. So, I would say to LGBTQ youth that are suffering in Florida when you grow up. Come to Michigan. You're not going to have to deal with that crap here. Not not as long as, you know, as, as people like us are, you know, in positions of authority. Yeah. But, you know, this is a community we have to look out for and we have to use, you know, all the levels, levers of authority that we possibly can to protect them because they're under attack right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I've tried to explain to people is... When when you when you're a, a legislator and you think the best way to help your constituents is to propose a bill for trans kids not to be able to participate in sports, knowing that there are like two kids, you know, yeah. who a year who uh, are transgender and want to participate in high school athletics. And generally speaking, they're not even very good athletes. Those kids, it's not like they're yeah. taking somebody else's, you know. Uh, spot on the junior varsity volleyball team, right? Right, right. Or, or when you think the best way to protect uh, kids in the state of Michigan is to make sure that that you know there's a handful of books that you never even heard of before that they can't read, yep. instead of protecting them from a, somebody coming into their school with an AR-15, right? Or, or or even protecting them from having lead in the water, which yep. we know you know, leads to terrible outcomes for kids or all kinds of other things that we can say, like, these are things that don't actually impact a person's life 
at all. If you have to, if a person's not even aware that mm-hmm. something was an issue to begin with and you have to first convince them this is a terrible problem and it's yeah. something that, that they've never even heard of before, it's probably not a terrible problem. It's probably that you're creating a problem instead mm-hmm. of creating solutions to real problems. And that's what the Republicans um, have tried to do as of late. But I will say this, and, and let me say this specifically to Generation Z, mm-hmm. and of course also to young millennials, you know, you guys know better. And that's why you turned out in record numbers to vote in the last election. And you don't have to accept um, people running for public office that want to use those offices to discriminate against people. Uh, You can ensure that they get removed from office or that they never make their way into office in the first place. And you did that in November. And um, as you know, and I will say personally from me, to all the students this is going out to that voted, um, uh, you know, um, gratitude all the way around on behalf of uh, a state that uh, is thankful not to have people like that in positions of authority. Yeah. Yeah. We um, I, I'm, I don't know if you saw um, any pictures or anything, but there um, were lines outside of UMA. Um, until like 11 30 12 o'clock at night and it's yeah I agree with you the the turnout for for these elections and it was it was a um a midterm election it wasn't even a pre, you know a presidential election it's it's really inspiring and I I was also happy to see it you know yeah and I I think that I I hope it sends the message that when you participate in our democracy mm-hmm. you know, everybody wins. Mm -hmm. And but it's when you ignore your, you know, your obligation, I I believe your obligation, you know, to participate, that you're not going to have a government that reflects your values. And for the most part, I mean, most Michiganders, most Americans believe in equal dignity under the law for all people. Just statistically, it's true. The people who you're going to hear complain the most, they are by far in the minority. And that is especially true of the younger generations. And I would say this, you know, when I was growing up, there was, there wasn't a single person on TV, whether you're talking about, you know, a game show host or whether you're talking about, you know, a character Mm -hmm. in a TV show that, you know, was openly, you know, LGBTQ. There just wasn't. And, and so you didn't see representation and you really did feel a sense of, of, you know, being alone. What's wrong yeah. with me? No one's like me. Um, but that that obviously has changed over the course of many decades. And I think that that's why there's so much acceptance for in, in, in some part because yeah. the laws have changed. And then also because you see yourselves reflected on 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 TV and in the movies and, you know, and all the rest. And so people know that they're not alone. Yeah. And you know, for the Republicans to go back to that playbook again from, you know, 50 years ago, it's not going to work anymore. But it only we can only say that it's not going to work anymore as long as people continue voting. Yep. Um, You know, and it's I think another thing about it, too, is sort of um, queer public officials sort of, quote unquote, infiltrating those spaces. It makes it hard for for Republicans on the other side of the aisle to vote against people's fundamental rights, who they work with, 
you know, again, we we um, interviewed um, Jeremy Moss and, and Lori Pohutsky and their stories about it, about working across the aisle and just sort of exposing those people um, who had probably never been exposed to queer people in their life or if they had like was Ellen or it was like Will and Grace, you know what I mean? Like totally not representative of the whole community, but just sort of exposing people over time, I think too, you know, is definitely a part of that. It's definitely a part of, of the sort of um, growing acceptance, I guess, that we have well, seen. And that's why to me, you know, it's just, you know, and again, I, I never want to put anybody in a situation that's dangerous to them. But, you know, for for such a long time, you know, I it, it's just what I would say to people is like you you need to come out and be your true authentic self for many reasons. Yeah. One, you're going to be happier. You're just yeah. going to be a happier person. But two, the more that people are exposed to people who, you know, are, are LGBTQ, yeah. um, the, the less people want to discriminate because they're like, well, wow, wow, I know somebody who, you know, who's gay. Yeah. I know somebody who's trans. I know somebody who's bi or whatever. <laughs> and I don't know. They're my neighbor. They're my friend. They're my colleague. Um, they seem like a nice person. I don't think I really want to hurt that person. But I will say this, which is just kind of the fun irony of it is as bad as my predecessor in office was, and it wasn't just, you know, of course, his his uh, challenge uh, to us in trying to allow for, for same-sex couples to adopt and marry in Michigan and how, not just how vigorous he was in defending the law, but again, as I said, the, what I thought to be a very unethical way that he went about it. Mm-hmm. But here I'm a successor. I'm his immediate successor. And we went from that office to an office where when you walk into the lobby mm-hmm. on the first floor of the Williams building, which is our main um, office building for the Department of Attorney General, mm-hmm. there's a pride flag there. Yeah. So everybody walks into a lobby. It's got the state of Michigan flag. It's got the American flag. And it's got the pride flag. Yep. And um, and the funny part is I put it down there for um, for Pride Month in 2019. And then I guess my staff just felt uncomfortable ever removing it. I was like, you know <laughs> yeah. what? We're just going to keep it there all year round. It was supposed to be right, for Pride right. Month. And then I was like, you know what? We'll just leave it there. I and mean, it's there all the time now. Yeah, right. I mean, but yeah, I would... Yeah, why would you want to take it down and keep it up every every month is Pride Month, right? I mean, well, but but I I think it's just a matter of so I have all these people who work you know either work in the Department of Attorney General and there's a lot of us, uh, or go to that department for one reason or another, uh, because they have a case with the department or they go into a training or whatever it is. Yeah, and um. Yeah, you know, if over time you get used to the fact that the person who's the fourth constitutional officer in the state, you know, it, you know, is openly gay and prom- promotes good policies that that you know um, that support this community and of course so many other communities as well. Yeah. Um, your hope is that that over time, a kids see a space for themselves when they're growing up and say, wow, I can grow up to do that too. Um, I'm not going to be held back by my sexual orientation or my gender identity. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, that you, that all the other people who, who maybe didn't, you know, uh, know somebody, yeah. uh, who, who was out or, you know, now they do now you work for her. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So, 
you know, and uh, I, it just I think that over time, it's going to it's going to make a world of difference. And I already see the difference between just, you know, my generation, you know, Gen X and my my kids generation, Gen Z and just um how casual they are about all of this when it comes to, you know, their lives, their friends. I mean, I, I'm so impressed uh, about how much no one seems to care about this at all is yep. what I will say. And I, yep. I mean that in the nicest way possible, right? Yeah. How it's just not a big deal. And, um, and that's what we want, right? We want right. it to just not be a big deal. Yeah, my mom is um, is a principal in, in Warren Consolidated School District. She's uh, an elementary principal, um, and she has she has said the same thing. And she, you know, will will from time to time give me a call or you know um, whatever it is, and she'll just say, you know, Blake, like you said, these kids and this these younger generations don't really care, um, and like in the best way possible, like just like you said, live your true self, be happy, and you will be better off for it. And the younger generations, I guess, for whatever reason, maybe more representation, more exposure, are, are more accepting. And it's, it's, it's awesome to see, um, you know, as, as, a, as a queer person, you know, and, and like you said earlier, it, it gets better is totally true. And we are seeing that not only as, you know, we age, but as new generations are coming up, it is getting better. And um, yeah. I think I think we especially saw that with um, the Respect for Marriage Act just getting passed earlier this week. You know, it was it was a hard push, but we are we are getting small wins here and there. And we are, I think, for the first time in Michigan, there are something like seven or eight openly queer um, public officials now. Um, it, it's it, the progress is is amazing. But but I guess turning back to to the um, codification of the Respect for Marriage Act, um, what does that mean for LGBTQ members in Michigan? What are the consequences of that? So, you know, I would say mostly good, but not entirely. You know, obviously, the best part about it is it means that, you know, if Obergefell is overturned, and I think a lot of us expect with the Supreme Court that it is likely that 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 will occur. Yep. And, um, you know, it's just incredibly unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, it is great having a Supreme Court that had recognized, I mean, first of all, that marriage is a fundamental right, yep. that, you know, whether it's the equal protection clause of the Constitution, the the due process clause of the Constitution, all of those things, for all of those reasons, that same-sex couples had the, you know, the constitutional right to enter into a legal marriage. Um, but what this act does is it means this, that if Obergefell is to be overturned, mm-hmm. that if you are married legally in any state mm-hmm. in the United States, you you have full faith and credit in that marriage. And what that means is your marriage will be recognized in every state. Okay. The bad news is it means that for the state of Michigan, we still have the, you know, the, you know, the Michigan Marriage Amendment is mm-hmm. still on the books in terms of the Michigan Constitution. And we also have a statute mm-hmm. that 
is still on the books that prohibits same-sex marriage. So what it means is that even though with this new legislature, I fully expect that they'll repeal the statute, it's not that easy for a constitutional amendment. We still have to have uh, essentially a ballot proposal that gets voted on by the people of this state, uh, and that gets at least 50 percent of the vote. Uh, in order to repeal that statute. So what it means is that for couples, same-sex couples that seek to marry, if Obergefell is overturned, you won't be able to get married in Michigan. You cannot go to, generally, you know, you have to go to the county in which you or your soon-to-be spouse is a resident Mm -hmm. and you apply for a marriage license from that county clerk. You won't be able to do that. Your Mm -hmm. marriage license will not be from the state of Michigan because it will be illegal. But if you go to Illinois, If you go to New York, if you go to California, if you go to so many of the other states where there is no ban on same-sex marriage, that if you get a marriage license there, you drive back to Michigan, you're legally married, and your marriage has to be recognized by your state. Mm -hmm. It has to be recognized by the federal government. For all federal laws and federal purposes, when you file a federal tax return, all of that, Uh, and that you know, there, there is, you know, there's full faith and credit all across the United States in terms of recognition of that marriage. So it's, like I said, it's not perfect because they could have passed a law mm-hmm. that superseded all of the state bans. And they could have passed a law that said no state bans will be permitted. And that we find, you know, that because federal law trumps state law, mm-hmm. It would have meant if they had just phrased it a little bit differently, that it sort of would have overcome our our state ban on same-sex marriage, even if Obergefell is overturned. So it didn't do that. But the good news is that, you know, if you want to legally recognize marriage in Michigan, yeah, it would suck to have to leave the state in order to get that. And that's a very demeaning thing, I think, for, for, you know, uh, people to have to do, yep. but at least your marriage will be legally recognized. And that means wh- whether you're filing, uh, you know, there's a, there's hundreds of rights. I don't think people appreciate how many rights, y- you know, are implicated in a, a you know, a marriage license, a legal yep. contract. Um, and I always talk about that, like the, just the change in my life, like, you know, my, my wife was able to adopt our children. So now my kids have two legal parents and they didn't before, um, you know, same-sex marriage was legalized nationwide. Yep. Uh, that's a big deal. Yeah. And and even you know visiting your spouse in the hospital. I mean, you couldn't do, you know you couldn't visit your 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 partner who was not your your spouse in a lot of hospitals. They'd be like, "What's your relationship to this person? Mm-hmm. Do you have a legal relationship?" And you didn't. So you know, and again, filing taxes. I mean, how demeaning to have to, you know, file separate taxes and and as a single person when really you, you know, you're, you were married, right? Uh, So we won't have to worry about any of those things. And I'm really grateful for that. And for the many other ways, by the way, that, that for people who don't know and fully appreciate, there's a big difference between being a married person and being an unmarried person as far as the law, the way the law treats you. Um, and, and like I said, medical insurance is one of the biggest that I can think of 
take it from me, you know, from yeah. a family who has to, used to have to do this. It's not great when you have to purchase two different um, sets of insurance because mm-hmm. you're not legally married. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's crazy expensive to have to do that. Yeah. And it's really unfair. So we won't have to worry about any of that stuff um, mm-hmm. because of the Respect for Marriage Act. Uh, but the, like I said, the one thing that I, I find really offensive is the fact that if Obergefell is overturned, that we won't be able to get a, a Michigan marriage license to do that. And that's why I'm a huge proponent, not only of this new legislature repealing the statute, yeah. but I would like to see a ballot proposal just yeah. to get the Michigan marriage amendment off the books. It's discriminatory. There's no reason for it. The mm-hmm. people don't support it. And if we can just get it on the ballot, it'll win. It'll pass with flying colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and we saw the same thing with um, the reproductive um, ballot initiative, the reproductive health um, and abortion access. I mean, the vote and the support is there. We can definitely do it. Um, and I, I would love to see it, too. Um, so we will leave it at that. We are we are a little bit over. I don't want to keep you for too, too much longer. But um, like I said, on behalf of, of our team, um, and myself, thank you so much for, for sitting and, and joining us. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me and, um, go blue. Yes. Right. Go blue. Yes. Yes. That wraps up our special feature episode with attorney general Dana Nessel. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share us on your social medias and with your friends and family. You're going to want to stay tuned for a special sneak peek episode into season two by following us on our social medias. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at InquiryPod. That's I-N-Q-U-E-E-R-Y-P-O-D. Thank you again for tuning in. Until next time, take care.